Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, uh, Micah Richards, but no Alan Shearer today. He's off travelling uh, somewhere, um, but I'm sure we'll hear from him by the end of the week. It's our questions episode and thank you once again for sending uh, so many questions in. We'll do our very best to get through as many as we possibly can um, over the next half an hour or so. Um, how you doing, Micah? Um, very well, Gary. How are you doing yourself? You good? Yeah, pretty good. Just got out of Pilates, a little stretching this morning. Ooh. It's, it's, I find it very hard. It's, a, it's brilliant. And you just basically lay there for an hour doing little things and it's exhausting. I don't quite understand how so little movement can, can be so hard. But anyway, it's done. It's done. Let's start. Um, got a question from Joe Dowson. Uh, what actually happens when a manager is sacked. How do the players find out? Do they get to say goodbye? Uh, what's it like when you meet the new boss for the first time? Um, I wish I could remember. It's 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 that long ago. How many managers I'd get sacked? Well, quite a few over the years. But I think generally from my memory, the manager would, one or two managers came and, in and said, right, I'm out. Um, thank you very much. And, and the others never saw or heard from them ever again. <laughs> How is, how is it in there? I mean, Micah, you're much more recent than me. It's quite a strange situation. So, obviously, I've had I've got a few managers sacked in my days of, of playing. But I remember the Mark Hughes signing uh, quite vividly. I just remember it was always difficult because he'd signed some, some great players. We had the likes of Rubinho and Bellamy. We signed Colo Torre. Jolien Lescott, you know, big and very good Premier League players. And it was always difficult because in fairness to Mark Hughes, we played attractive football, but we couldn't keep a clean sheet to save our life. It was, it was madness. We were so good on the eye, but yeah, couldn't keep a clean sheet. And then 
I remember it was around Christmas time. I think it was in December. I'm going to go around the 19th or 20th of December, 2009. And I've documented before, my relationship with Mark Hughes wasn't a great one, but he was very good to me. It's almost like he knew my ability, but I couldn't really get it out. So it was my fault. It wasn't his fault. He had nothing to do with that. He was playing me in all the games. And as a result, I can't remember if he won, lost or draw. He might even won, to be honest. And I remember he was coming into the dressing room. It was quite a, a decent sort of uh, dressing room after the game. Whether you win, lose or draw, for the first five, ten minutes, it's, you know, manager comes in, talks about tactics, what we did well, what we could have uh, done better. And then I just remember him walking in and he said, right, I think that's it, guys. That's me gone. And just walked off. And I'm thinking to myself, are you not going to give us some sort of speech? Or are you not going to say, thank you very much for all you've done? Or we wanted to apologize for not uh, reaching the level that we were supposed to. And from that day, I didn't see him till about five years later, working on BBC. And because our relationship was quite strained, we was doing a, um, you know, when you, you do the Euros draw and you, you're going through the teams and all that sort of stuff. And he was on the panel and I didn't know how to act because I was like, he's now not my manager, but I, <laughs> I've got so much respect for him. But now he's on my turf, you know, this is, this is, this is a punditry world. But in fairness to him, he was such a, a lovely person. And it was it was devastating to see it was just all ended after all the hard work he'd done. But it's not like people think they must know it's coming. They might get told they've got one more game and this is how it's going to... But it wasn't planned at all. He just come in and said, I think that's it. And left. It was the most awkward situation I've ever been in. Yeah, it, it's odd. Speaking of Mark Hughes, obviously I played with him at... Barcelona way back and Terry Venables was was the manager and in the his second season we started Mark had gone by well he hadn't gone but he was on loan I think he went to Bayern Munich but um by the by um we about four games into the start of the season we'd won one we drew two and lost one it was a poor start for Barcelona and they just sacked Terry Venables just like that after all he'd done and it was like wow Wow, I mean, obviously, because I had a personal relationship with him at that point, and he got in touch and said this has happened, and uh, and he did come in and, and and speak to the players, and the players were actually quite upset that it, you know they they liked him a lot, but you know we talked a lot about Terry, but it reminded him actually he was, he was also you know pretty ruthless when it when push came to shove. In those days, you were only allowed two foreign players um, in Spain, and obviously a club like Barcelona, um, that's, that's quite difficult. So we had. Uh, Mark Hughes and myself were the two foreign players in Terry Venable's um, management. And you couldn't have other foreign players in the squad. But what you could do is you could take one out of the squad and put another one in. So we had the bizarre situation that Steve Archibald and Bernd Schuster, who were the two foreign players the season before uh, Sparky and myself signed... Uh, Sparky was Mark Hughes' nickname, for those that don't know, because he used to be an electrician, I think, in his early days. So they were there and they were training with us every day, but they couldn't, they weren't allowed to play. 
And it, and it was kind of an odd situation because they were both big personalities and excellent footballers, obviously. Um, but then with, I think it was about eight, nine games left of the season, Mark Hughes had been really struggling. You know, the goals didn't happen. The crowd were getting on his back. The press were giving him a hard time and he was really struggling. Um, with eight games to go, Terry made the decision to take Mark out of the squad altogether and brought in Steve Archibald, and for the and he had to stay for the rest of the season. So I played with um, um, Steve Archibald for the last eight games of the season. I have to say we 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 did play quite well together. But yeah, I mean, Mark Hughes had a couple of brutal moments uh, in his career. Before we move on, sorry, Mancini as well. I've, I've got to tell quickly about Mancini. It was weird because. I was like Mancini's love child. I've said it before. I love, everyone knows my relationship. I absolutely love him. What, what, what a guy he was. Tough love. We was, I remember we was down at Wembley and we was in a hotel. It might have been the Grove Hotel or it might have been a landmark hotel. And he came and we was all sat at the table. And I, I remember him, he just having a, a, a conversation with us saying, right, that's going to be me done and whatnot. And it was weird because half the table was gutted and the <laughs> other half of the table, I swear, I'm not exaggerating, was almost like cheering. Wow. It was absolutely ludicrous. I'm like, the guy just lost his job and everyone's smiling and joking. And let, me get, just... let me guess, the ones that were not in the team are the ones that were cheering and the ones that were in the team are the ones that were upset. The worst thing, guy, even some of the ones who were in the team were cheering. It was madness. Uh, I see um, first Premier League manager lost his job uh, a couple of days ago. First time, Paul Heckingbottom. Y you could sort of see that coming, but he was dealt a bad hand, wasn't he, going into the Premier League? I it's... mean, we jinxed it, didn't we? We was talking know, on our pod exactly. and we were saying no one's been sacked. At this time last year, there'd been umpteen managers being sacked, but... It was going to come. I, f I felt a little bit sorry for him. Um, a couple of outbursts in the press conferences and the fans really not buying into what he was trying to do. But in all honesty, the squad of players, we all had Chef United to go down and it was always going to be a difficult task. So I feel a little bit sorry for him, but they can still perform better than they have been. We shall see. Um, a question from Harsha. Uh, fantastic show, lads. I'd like to ask what it takes for a country like India, where I am writing from, to develop the right kind of infrastructure to start challenging at the highest level. There's no dearth of people, but what does it take professionally for us to get there? I've always wondered why. I mean, they do love their football and obviously cricket's their main sport, but I always wonder why they've not produced... Um, some talented players or I mean they must be there but why they've not reached I mean I'm not an expert on 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 youth football in in India obviously and I mean you can also in many ways um say the same question about why young Indian or with Indian backgrounds and families have not have not progressed massively in in our country either well I've got loads of Indian friends and what they used to tell me historically, and I'm not talking out of turn, I'm, this is what they have, have told me yeah. is the first thing that they want their children to be yeah. is a, a doctor. doctor. Yeah, is, yeah. A, is a doctor. <laughs> yeah, so that's, well. that's number one. Yeah. And then if that doesn't fall, it's always cricket. Cricket, he comes second. And when you've got the lights of... The, the the big stars in cricket in, in India and how what they produce it's almost like you hedge your bets don't you 
what do you want your 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 child to go through whereas um football is seen as secondary and it's similar in the US as well with baseball and basketball and yeah, American football there's so many different directions you can go and i think it might just come from a cultural thing where they always had you know schoolwork and academics comes first yeah it's not top of their list but, yeah um, it'd be interesting to see how how that progresses and how, if that does indeed change um question from joe west uh, will player power win out again against another manchester united manager now it's hard to tell whether you know with these player power things but um there was almost, it felt like they'd almost down-tooled a little bit at the weekend at Newcastle. And that's for sure. They didn't, didn't exactly put too much effort in. Um, I mean, sometimes that can be confused with a lack of confidence and, and, and you know, when you're losing your way on the pitch. But I, mean, I don't know. It's generally the manager that suffers under these um, circumstances. But, you know, talking about player power, I think certainly in the, in, in the modern age, um, Managing has changed, hasn't it? You've you've got to have the players on board. Um, you can't just go around bollocking players. You can't. In fact, it was always a no-no. You know, going public with players, and I think that's the one area that I would criticise Ten Hag a little bit. I don't think he's handled brilliantly situations with various players. Now he's had a lot to deal with, but he's repeatedly been critical openly and publicly and that's the one thing that was always even when I played was unacceptable you you could take the, any kind of bollocking in a dressing room anything like that but the minute a manager puts you down publicly that is a no-no I I totally agree with you Gary and people say this all the time what is player power so it's you normally have a in a modern day game you have a group of four or five people who are on a committee and they would report back maybe to the captain and then the captain reports back to the manager they're the ones who set the standards within the changing rooms and how they're gonna move forward so that's what player power means to to me i just believe that the manager has to take responsibility for who he trusts in these positions so you've seen it with pep at Barcelona, we spoke about Thierry Henry and his situation there. And you have to deal with the big personalities straight away. So the situation with Ronaldo, that could have been handled in a better way, in my opinion. I'll give him a, a, a little bit of leeway with, you know, uh, the Mason Greenwood because well, that difficult. is out of his hands. He, he, he don't know how to act in that situation. But there's too many times where players are allowed to underperform and get away with it. So everyone's talking about Rashford. Okay, his form's not been great. But if his form's not great, instead of putting him out on the right wing where he's least effective, take him out of the team. And then people are moaning at Rashford for him not playing. Well, the manager has to make that decision. That's what the manager's supposed to do. Of course, if you leave out someone like Sancho, it's going to have an effect within the changing room. But if you think you're doing it for the good of the team, you have to do it. People always talk in the changing room amongst ourselves. Whether you're playing or whether you're not playing, whether you don't like anything, it always happens. But it's, it's down to the manager to get a hold on that. And, and he's not dealt with that. 
good enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Nikita Goodison. Um, good name if you're an Everton fan, but I sense she's a Leicester fan. Uh, this is a question for all of you, but one Gary might like. Uh, what do you think about the job that Enzo Maresca has done at Leicester in turning them around from the mess of last season? Me and my dad are loving the podcast, Dad. Good to hear that. Um, I, well, I think he's doing a terrific job. Well, he, with... he, comes, he comes off the city mould, doesn't he? He comes from the city mould off the city line. Gary, go on. You're talking Leicester City, obviously. No way! <laughs> <laughs> There's more than one city, Micah. There's more than one city. But yes, of course, he was one of um, Pep's kind of graduates, perhaps you could call him. Um, he's, he's done a really good job. He, you know, He's very much a possession-based um, style of football, tend to wear teams down, score a lot of goals late in games, um, playing some, some good football. Um, really encouraging that um, they're at the top of the table and uh, long may it continue and we'll come back in the Premier League. Was you nervous at all, Gary, when the appointment was made? Do you think he would have the trajectory that to go from one style of play to another so soon? Well, I think Leicester were uh, mostly a passing team anyway under under Brendan Rodgers in, in particular. But but it, yeah, I wasn't worried necessarily about changing the style of play. I was slightly concerned because I didn't know much about him. I knew he'd, he'd, he managed um, in Italy. It didn't really work for him about... F- I think he only lasted about four or five months. Um, so he came. So, you know, it, I think like most Leicester fans, we'd have going, right, let's see what we've got. You know, because, you you know, you go, well, he's worked with Pep Guardiola. So it doesn't automatically follow that you work with Pep Guardiola, that you're going to be um, going to be good. Although, obviously, you would have learned a lot. But we're more than happy at the moment. You look at Leicester's squad. It is a squad that should come back up. I mean, yes, they lost a few players in the transfer window, which was inevitable when you, you get relegated, uh, Madison and Barnes um, and, and Tielemans in particular. But, you know, they've got a lot of good players, um, certainly for the championship. And I'm pretty confident. But as we all know, it's the hope that kills you. Uh, I want to take um, one more question before we have a little breather. Uh, Matt Hardwick asks, loving the podcast, it cheers up my commute to work. Uh, how did life as a YTS apprentice footballer for Gary in the 80s compare to what Micah experienced as a youth player in more recent times? And has the experience changed even further since Micah's time? We've had some belters today, haven't we? Some great some questions. Good. Well, I mean, I don't know what life is like um, as when you join a football club. Now, I I suspect it's massively different, um, my experience to yours, Micah. I had to do, as an apprentice, I signed, I did two years as an apprentice, two seasons, I should say. And um, we were all given jobs to do, aside from obviously training and playing football and, and morning and afternoon in those days. And my job was to clean up the first team dressing room. In those days, we had a training ground at Beaver Drive, but we used to use Filbert Street for the dressing rooms. Um, and so the, the first team would be in the home dressing room and then all the reserves or other youth players would be in the other dressing room. My job was to keep the first team dressing room clean. Um, and that involved cleaning toilets, mopping floors, brushing, all that. But the worst part about it well, there was a few hideous moments in the toilet, I have to say, but let's not go into that. Um, but the worst part about my job, I think, was going back that far, you were only allocated one set of kit or a strip that you'd wear for the week. So there'd be socks, a slip, shorts, a shirt and tracksuit. 
you had to wear it all week. And then at the end of it, they'd chuck it all over the floor. They'd always have numbers on it. They didn't really look after it. You'd go and you'd have to get the numbers. And they used to have these hangers that we'd put them on. And then you'd find the set number on the socks and the shorts and the slip and the thing, and you'd hang them up. And then we put them in a drying room. No no laundry, anything like that. So you put them in a drying room. Now you can imagine, come Thursday and Friday, that stuff is absolutely humming and it, you've all you've got sweaty things and all sorts of ugh. And, and we had to hang it up and put it in the drying room and the stench by the end of the week um and and the socks were you know they because it was in a warm dry they'd just be like hot crispy and hot oh it was so gross um and do you have any experience like that no, in football? no i don't, I don't. No. Can, no. can I ask you what you was earning back then, Gary? Just I, to... I was on... Um, Apprentice-wise, yeah. Apprentice-wise, £16 a week. And a, they did a separate envelope um, for a fiver that I had to give my mum. And the reason for that was that most of the players were coming from all over the country and some, I think there were a couple of lads from Ireland as well. And they would be put in digs. Um, so they'd be fed. So the, the the reasoning was that, well, the local lads should, you know, they should be fed as well. So it's a fiver to, for my mum to feed me. But my mum never, she always gave me back. She went, no, I don't want to fed you all my life. I'm not, why, why do you want to start giving me money now? So bless her heart. Bless her heart. So yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, I know. Those were the days. Those were the days. I was on uh, 80 quid a week. Yeah, it's 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 not not ridiculous. Yeah, eighty quid a week. You were only eleven though. (laughs) (laughs) And I was in digs also. And I remember a beautiful family. Still speak to them now. It was there was called the priest. It was Paul and Karen Priest. They had a daughter called Karen and a son called Mark. Some of the, the best times of my life. I had all my washing and my ironing done for me. We used to get bus or taxi to training. It was fabulous. We had such a great sort of connection and, and relationship. I remember one time, you know, early days, you're, 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 you know, you're still growing, aren't you? You're becoming, you're becoming a man. So, you know, you, you're watching things that we, we don't like to watch. You know, you're watching things, you're experiencing different yeah. things. So, yeah, I, I guess what I, I think I know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah. So everything in my room's perfect. Got my kit there, uh, got my boots over there, got my, my schoolwork on, on the little table that I had. And I always used to keep, like books, but between the books, I, 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 I had a few di- different different things between between the books. And as they've been cleaning, they must have found something. So we go down to dinner, they act like nothing's happened. We're all sat down as a family dinner, perfect. Used to cook us a chicken, chicken rice and vegetables. It was perfect. And just before we're about to tuck in, Paul goes, or oh, um, Micah, um, I didn't know you was into black booty. And basically, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my my DVDs at the foul ground that be cleaning. Honestly, I wanted uh, the ground to absolutely take me at that moment in uh, time. I was so embarrassed, but uh, it was, uh, that's the relationship I had with them. They were absolutely 
fantastic. I was going to take a, a break, but that, that leads on to a, a question, actually, with that this particular subject from Nick Page. He said, given the Euros draw was um, interrupted, I'd be interested in what was going through your mind, Gary, as it happened to you at Molyneux and perhaps what it looked like behind the camera. as no doubt panic and chaos ensued. Um, he's talking about that, you know, that old um, kind of the porn sounds thing that we had um, when Wolves played Liverpool uh, last season in the FA Cup. Happened again, didn't it? In the in in the draw for the Euros uh, last week, and um, uh, I do remember what was going through my mind at the time. It was it was because we were doing it with um, had Danny Murphy in the studio, and um, um, Alan Shearer was doing co commentary, wasn't he that day? And the sh- the music started, the show got going, and I suddenly heard that. You know, I think most people have had that played through their phone at some point when you're on a train. It's like ah. And the, the old porn shrieking sounds. The first thing I thought was, that sounds like that, that porn thing has, has any of us left our phone on? Um, and we, I thought, no, it's too loud. It's too... And then I'm thinking, is it over the main tannoy in the ground? Is it the whole thing in the ground? And I thought, no, it's definitely coming from inside this room somewhere. <laughs> so then, then I'm thinking, right, how do I handle this? And I thought, right, okay. So we had to hand to Alan Shearer and he was chuckling and we were chuckling already. We were laughing at it without knowing exactly what it was. So we hand to Alan and then we go out of vision and the, the, it stopped. And I thought, oh, thank heavens, it's finished. But it's funny, but it's finished. And then, you know, and then as soon as they handed back to the studio, it started again. And now I'm thinking, this is a prank. Someone's doing this. But you kind of allude to it and know it's there. And then just, but you've also got to carry on with the programme. And then I kind of started doing innuendos and, and every every analysis bit at half time. I don't know, some people might have picked up. I, I did kind of, you know, little sexual innuendos like, you know, Liverpool really good pushing out from the back and, you know, <laughs> and all, all various things, various things. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it was a giggle. Um, on that note, let's take a break. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. 
Welcome back to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, and uh, just Micah Richards uh, today. Question from Jamie Nays, uh, which is for you, Micah. It says, was there ever a time that you put too much pressure on yourself defensively because of the quality of the winger you were up against? I.e., did he find himself overthinking everything when he went up against the likes of Ronaldo? Ooh, good question. Um, not particularly, no. I, I always used to love playing against um, great wingers. And I was doing some analysis the other day and a lot of people talked to me. I said, I'd rather play against Doku than Grealish. Just because I used to love that individual battle. Grealish goes in areas where I don't want to go. I don't want to go and chase Jack Grealish into number 10 positions in the centre midfield and I'm out of position. I like that one-on-one battle. So that's why I would like to play against Doku. So in answer to the question, no, I didn't used to overthink it. I'm almost used to relish the task because I played against Robin, Iron Robin, um, for my debut for England. And for the first five minutes, 10 minutes, he got the better of me. He was going inside and, and outside and he had pace. He was playing on the left. And he normally I was going to say, was it it's unusual for him to play there, isn't it? Yeah, he normally plays on the right, but on that day, he was playing on the left. They must have spotted the weakness. <laughs> In the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be weakness. <laughs> Apologies, carry on. And then um, I just thought to myself, you do put more pressure in terms of, you would um, analyse them a lot more. So before a game, night before, you're looking at clips. And I never really used to look at clips of players because I thought like, it's on the day. It all could change. You know what their strengths are. You know if they're going to chop or going to try to cross first time. It was almost like, I'm going to win that battle in the tunnel. So if Ronaldo or... I'm not going to win the battle with Ronaldo. That sounds ridiculous. Any wing I was going <laughs> up with, I would just stare him down in the tunnel. I'm not overthinking. I let them know they're in a game. And I Did used you? to... Show me the look. Show me the look you used to give him. I'll tell you what. <laughs> You've intimidated me already, I am. <laughs> <laughs> give him the fierce look and then the first challenge I would always growl when I did a header so the first yeah. go on come give up, this like, a growl <laughs> <laughs> that was like a bit of a pussy cow <laughs> <laughs> and then the no they're in for it and I'd always make sure I win the first challenge. Whether that's a foul or not, let them know that they're in for a fight. So yeah, used to love a play against top players, but I wouldn't overthink it. No, no chance. Great stuff. I've got a question from uh, to me, actually, from Steve Hilly. Um, me and my mates think about Mexico 86 and or Italia 90 about once a week. I've argued that the 86 squad was actually the better of the two. What do you think? And if you had beaten Argentina, could you have gone all the way? Well, we could have gone all the way because that was the quarterfinal. So we'd have been very close. Um, and it was a fairly tight game, but for a certain Diego Maradona. I actually think the squad was better in, in 90. Um Mainly because I think we were stronger defensively. I think in, in 90 and 86, there wasn't that much in it going forward. Both had Beardsley and myself up front. Um, 
I suppose Glenn Hoddle was in the 86 squad, um, not the 91, um, which was always a bonus if you've got Glenn playing with you. Um, but I think defensively overall, we had Des Walker in 1990, which where we didn't. We had Terry Butcher in both, which was always a strength. And um, But I, I think we struggled alongside Terry Butcher in, in, in 86 a little bit. Um, and Mark Wright was excellent in, in 90 as well. Brian Robson was in both, but got injured in both World Cups. I've, I've said many a time that I think if he'd have stayed fit, we'd, we might well have won one of them. But there wasn't a lot in it, but I just felt probably overall, I think we had a bit more strength in, in 90 than 86. And we, we went a game further. Um, alas, not, not far enough. Um, question from Nasrol. Uh, as pundits, how do you approach the responsibility of shaping public opinion about players, managers and teams through your analysis? Well, I don't think you're trying to shape public opinion necessarily on the teams. I think you're just trying to give them an insight, perhaps, into the goings-on and the analysis side of football, Micah. Yeah, I, I found it very difficult at the start. So when you retire and you're friends with all the players that you just played with and you want to tell the fans exactly what's happening when you're analyzing a game you want to be honest but you also want to protect your mate a little bit but I always think now as long as you don't go personal as long as you don't talk about anything that's not related to on the pitch players will always respect you for that and it's not about being everyone's friend I don't text players and say am I okay to do this I, I, I fought this I don't do any of that I just try to be as fair as possible so when people are talking about the whole Rashford situation yes he's not playing well on the field but I wouldn't dare talk about people are, are saying or saying oh he's back with his his ex-girlfriend now his form's gonna change dramatically he's gonna be the Rashford we all know like who am I to talk about his personal life and I just feel that we have to stay on track with what's going on in the pitch and not everyone's gonna like it but at the end of the day as long as you're true to your word and honest and not being personal I think the players will respect that I interviewed Marcus at the end of last season just before the FA Cup final and he struck me as very deep and thoughtful and, and and you're quite right. You never know what's going on on the pitch or off the pitch. And um, I think we all play better when we're happier off the pitch. And I'm not reading in, anything into to, to Marcus's performances and, and saying that it's it's you know he's got problems with his mental health at the moment. But um, you don't know. So I think sometimes you you know I think if you're honest about things and you know just give it straight and don't go into the personal side of things, then I think um, I think most people and most footballers will accept that but don't you think gary over over the years and i like to throw this question to you that punditry and analysis and analyzing games to me has always seemed very negative and people will take it for someone who's got a lot of credibility like alan hansen he's fully deserved of saying because his standards are so high but when i see players who have not being at that level, and I'm not saying they can't have an opinion, but they're not held by the same standards, do you know? And I feel as though a lot of the punditry, a lot of people were just following a trend of what they thought people want to hear because of 
the old guard used to be not very negative, but a lot more negative than positive. I think a lot of punditry is pointing out the positive side of, of, of football and play. And we, you know, the first thing that we focus on generally, isn't it? If there's a great performance is, is that. Sometimes, um, obviously, you, you can spot weaknesses in a defence or, or, or an attacking side of the play. And you, and you want to give people at home analysis that perhaps they wouldn't spot for themselves and that's that's a difficult thing but um i don't really think it should matter in terms of doing your analysis whether you you know were you one of the greats or whether you you know you had a kind of just a club career or or, or whatever i think some of the greatest managers in the game didn't have the the most you know wonderful careers take you know people like Jurgen Klopp Jose Mourinho didn't really play very much and Arsene Wenger another example so you know different you know that that's just in terms of management but also in terms of, of punditry if you can excel in what you see tactically and you can tell people at home something that perhaps they wouldn't notice themselves I think that's all you, you can really focus on I think in the punditry world Right, question from Michael Ball. Uh, how many times in your career on the opening day of the season did you truly think we can win the league this year? And how quickly were some of those thoughts extinguished? Well, I didn't know that. Well, certainly when I went to Everton, I thought we could win the title. Um, I went to Spurs and then they sold Chris Waddle four weeks after uh, I joined. And that kind of ended my title aspirations at Barcelona you always felt you could win the league although when I was there Real Madrid was so bloody good um, that we never managed to do it you Micah because you would have seen that change gradually in your time at Manchester City wouldn't you going from a team that you knew wouldn't win the title to a team that you thought probably would it's crazy because after not winning anything for so long we won the FA Cup in 2011 then we won the Premier League the next year and I'm looking around me, I'm thinking, with the players we've got, with the manager that, that we have, the, the financial backing also to, to get new players, I'm going to come out of this with about seven Premier Leagues. I'm going to be talked <laughs> about as a, one of the best ever fullbacks to, to live. But football just doesn't work that way. And after we won it the first time, I really believe for the next four or five seasons, we would win it every year and that's why you have to give so much credit to Man United when they won it three years on the bounce and Man City now who are going for their fourth year because you always believe once you've won it that first time you're going to win it again but it just doesn't happen that way so yeah I thought about there's about three seasons after we won the league I thought we'd win it every year I'm gutted I never won a title oh. I second I think four times um, should have won it with Everton. Um, okay, would you take away 30% of your goals for a Premier League or a league title? No. Exactly! <laughs> exactly! Yeah. So you take your goals, wouldn't you? Well, that's my job. <laughs> and, the, and the truth is, if you take away 30% of my goals, there's much much less chance of winning a fucking title. <laughs> So, um, from that nonsensical question to me there, Michael, I'll move on. Uh, our, uh, our final question uh, from Land of the Curse Dead. Interesting name. Uh, Gary, apart from the football action part, how come you weren't in the World in Motion music video? Has Micah uh, ever been in any football music songs, videos, or dodgy 
top of the pops performances. I'll give you a moment and I'll go through my music career, which is hideously embarrassing. I remember appearing on Wogan, um, doing some awful, awful song that I can't, I think there's one with Everton and one with England and they were mind numbing. And by the time I was a senior professional, which is 1990 when World in Motion, which was a big hit, it was number one for weeks. And there was, it was mainly a perform. I think it was about four of our lads performed. And John Barnes was particularly good, of course. Um, he did a little rap bit in that video. But I hated, I can't sing. I'm, I'm shit. Um, and, and for me, it was the, all the things you're asked to do in football, being part of a song, and especially going on a show, whether it's Top of the Pops or Wogan and the stuff like this, is the most hideously cringeworthy <laughs> thing to do. And by the time I got to be England captain, I said, we're not doing any more football songs. It's ludicrous. That's not what we're supposed to be. Um, and it, but yeah, but cringe. How about how about you? What you? Oh, uh, come don't on. take me back. I'm taking you back. I was I was 18. I had the world at my feet. England <laughs> international. I just bought a new house. I was just I was living in that moment where I was just thought I was the man. And my old friend of a friend from my area in Chapeltown, he was sort of a, more of a producer, really, than artist, but he used to produce beats. And there's a, a famous song. It's a massive, massive song. I'm not going to lie. I think it got to number one or number two. It was called Heartbroken by T2. H will know it. H will definitely know it. Harry, Harry's nodding. Back in the days, Ibiza, Ayanapa. Oh, uh -huh. it, was a, it was a banger. So I get a call. And when you're a footballer, people have got to know context. You get asked to do all sorts of ridiculous things. And this was one of them. Will you come in the music video? And I was like, what do you want me to do? They said, they just want you to pull up in a Range Rover and act cool. Basically, like I'm picking them up and we're going just somewhere. Just be yourself to then, really. Yeah, yeah, just be, just be big meats, you know? <laughs> so I'm doing this filming. So I, I used to live in, in Chapel Town in um, a place called Hillcrest Avenue. And there's about a couple of streets down where we was doing this shoot. I was like, no problem. I'll go visit my old, my old friends, go in the area. And then you have this Range Rover and I pull up and I see cameras everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, you're a footballer. You, you've got a head of you. You know what people say, too much too soon? That moment was the perfect example of too much too soon. Were you singing? Did you do no, anything? No, 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 I wasn't singing. So I, I get in the car. Now, my scene was about two seconds in the whole video. I pull up, I drive up to outside the door where the, the T2's coming out and I've just done some ridiculous like wind down the window and some like smile to the cat. Oh, it's the most <laughs> cringeworthy, horrible <laughs> thing I ever do. And We've got to dig that out. That's got to be there somewhere. We'll dig that just... out for, our, you know, we'll put it on the YouTube channel and um, and socials possibly if we can find it. But right, we're going to finish now, Micah, but I need to ask you something because I've just noticed. Have you left the plastic stickers on your sweatshirt or whatever you got on there or is it the price tag or something on the front is that accidental or is <laughs> <laughs> what is that how have you noticed that well, it's very noticeable <laughs> if you can, i mean for those of the you can't see he's got like a 
bit of plastic that looks like there's normally left on something when you've just bought it. And I think that's the case, isn't it, my case? Peeling it off as we speak. <laughs> oh, what an We idea. will also show you this. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've left it on. I forgot to take it off. Oh, brilliant. What an idiot. Oh, God. What a way to finish, Micah. <laughs> what a way to finish. Well, thanks once again for all your questions. Um, they've been brilliant, as always. We'll be back uh, later in the week. Well, there's been big week, a um, bunch of matches, so we'll be discussing those, and you'll have that episode out first thing on Friday. Uh, but thanks again. That's it. Um, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.